it's really good to be with you this evening and I want to thank uh, Alec and Brian in his absence and others for the invite to come and share something with you and I've been asked as you know to speak on the topic of giving and I'll only cover some aspects of that Uh, but I do hope we'll see the challenge that comes from God's word on the subject and I very much include myself in that this is uncomfortable stuff because we can never give back enough to God to the one who's given everything for us we don't measure up to God's standard of giving and I feel like other people would be better to deliver this to you because of the challenge I see it in it myself we can never give enough uh, but we, what we want is to go away from this evening having determined to give more. We want churches of God to be healthy and to be growing, don't we? Now let me ask you, what is the resource by which that happens? While it is God who gives growth, it is we who are tasked with serving him in local churches. So what's our role? On a very simple level, we must be giving ourselves to be used by him so that he may use us to bring about his purposes as his desire is that all are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and then to thrive in the knowledge of that truth. So in one sense, the resource that we have is infinite because the work is his And the power is his and the purpose is his. And let that encourage us tonight. Let that inspire us. But one of the ways that God will work is through us. And if we don't give ourselves to that work in a variety of ways, then we will limit what is being done in churches of God from the local to the global By way of introduction, I just want to read a few verses with you. Uh, And I'm going to read a lot this evening. And I think that's a good thing. uh, Because the word of God will speak more powerfully than I will. So we'll go to Titus chapter 3 to begin. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. And back a few books to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verse 15. And again, this is Paul writing. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first Preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. So that they'll not be unfruitful. There is urgent need in the churches of God today. And we are the people 
who must learn to meet that need through giving. But you see what Paul's attitude to this issue of giving is. He encourages giving because it brings blessing to the givers as well as to those receiving the direct benefits of the giving. Fruitfulness is linked to meeting those needs. I want them to give so that they'll not be unfruitful or unproductive for God. The same idea is developed further in the verses I read in Philippians 4. And Paul was highlighting there that their gift in itself was not what he was after. Rather, it was the profit which was being added to their account before God. And he goes on to say that that gift was well-pleasing to God. It was like a fragrant aroma rising up to God. When people give, it is noticed in the presence of God. And he blesses. And when we give, we're adding to our heavenly account. Not because of a simple, if I do this for you, will you do that for me, Lord? But because it's natural that when we give ourselves and our resources joyfully over to God for his use, he will use them. And he'll do more than we can ask or think with them. And that results in blessing here on earth and in profit to our heavenly account before God. So in all that I'm going to say this evening, remember that giving is to our own benefit before God. Blessing is the logical outworking of giving. Yes, for the one who receives the gift but also for the one who gives. So I want to think about three aspects of giving, just touching on the surface, I'm sure. And those aspects are giving our time and giving our money and giving ourselves to the service of God. So let's maybe start with the softest one. Uh, I want to think about how we use our time, first of all. Can you turn with me to Psalm 90? Some very well-known verses. Psalm 90 and verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labour and sorrow, for it is soon gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And back a few chapters to Galatians 6. And verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows. This he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh. Will reap from the flesh corruption 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Time is precious. I'm sure we all understand that. And you guys who are younger, uh, you'll find that as you get older, more and more demands come into your life. And time only becomes more and more precious. And in that situation, we need to actually begin to consciously think about how we use our time. Even make lists of the demands that are on us and start to prioritise them based on how important things are to us or perhaps based on how important they are to God. Maybe we even need to think about whether we should stop doing certain activities and make way, make time for the things that we should really be doing. Redeeming the time, the old King James Version puts it that way. Buying it back for God. That time is for God now. I'm taking it back for him. In simple terms, we're talking about making the most of our time for God. Investing in his eternal perspective rather than in the things that are disappearing. Paul says we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. Investing time in the spiritual, sowing to the spirit. Giving time to God doesn't just happen. It's not a given. It's about prioritising. And that is something, as I said, that needs to be done consciously. Understanding that our days have a finite number, at least in this age, and understanding that there are a finite number of hours in each day. And I have trouble with that. And using that understanding then to present to God a heart of wisdom about how we're using our time. <coughs> wisdom and how we use our time are linked several times in the scriptures and we've looked at some of those. Walk not as unwise but as wise making the most of your time, showing God that we are maturing in his things, understanding his will for us by making wise decisions about how we use our time. So what does giving your time do at a local and a global level for the churches? Well, locally, it's so important that we give time to supporting our assembly so do you give time in attending all the core meetings of the church? That's not much time to give, is it? Out of a week, just a few hours. So is that really giving? Is that sacrifice? Can you give more time? Can I give more time to things outside those core meetings, helping with youth work, informal outreach and teaching? Time invested in one another so that we take opportunities to do good 
to those of the household of the faith. Look around. That's who Paul's speaking about. Do you take opportunities to do good to these people? What about personal time with God each day? Do we give him time alone? Time preparing for the remembrance in self-examination and in the organisation of what we're going to offer to God as part of the church. All of those are just examples of how we might give our time. (coughs) And we pray that God will bless those things that we invest time in to benefit the local churches that we're a part of. We need to be before God about that. That as we have sown in the giving of our time, that we will reap in due course to his glory. But here's the crucial thing. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. And how we reap as churches will depend on how we've sown. So are we really giving our time, sacrificing our time? In time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. Looking beyond your local church to a district level, we can support the activities of other assemblies too and district events where we see need. And as capacity reduces in churches, as we're seeing in the UK, that's needed more and more. And it's good to be conscious of it and to look for opportunities to do good there. Even at a global level, there are ways in which you can give your time, ways to get involved that will also give you a wider vision of what God is doing through the fellowship. And you'll be blessed in the giving of that time as God shows you how he's working. We might want to talk about those things in the Q&A later. Now, we might be comfortable with the idea of giving more of our time to serving God. What about our money? Let's read again together in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 and verse 1. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put in the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Matthew chapter 6, 2. Please. Matthew 6 and verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honoured by men. Truly I say to you, They have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When do you start giving to God when you gather on a Sunday morning? Is it when a brother takes the emblems I'm going to suggest that if you do it this way, 
Uh, it's as soon as you walk in the door and put money into the box. And it's not a matter of casually dropping some money into a slot. It's really a thoughtful expression of worship, of sacrifice to God, a declaration that we are giving to God and prioritizing, exalting him amongst other financial demands. Of course, others will give by standing order and that is great. And it's a systematic way of ensuring that God gets his portion and you know exactly what you're giving. But the point's the same. Giving our money to God should be a thoughtful expression of worship, of sacrifice. I recommend uh, Ira Williamson's NT article on what Jesus said about wealth in the January 2015 edition. And also Ed Neely's article on giving in the current January 2016 edition. Read them, please, because they'll benefit you. In Luke 21, the Lord Jesus was watching as people filed past the temple treasury. If they had understood who it was that was watching them, the God of the house of God, watching people give in to him. Perhaps Matthew 6 describes what Jesus saw as some of Jerusalem's wealthy worshippers brought their offerings to God. A great procession with trumpets announcing the incredible value of their offering. And it was into that vast pool of wealth that a widow dropped two small copper coins. Hardly worth mentioning, is it? And yet, it is mentioned and it's commended by the one to whom all wealth belongs. Recorded forever in God's word. And the Lord Jesus described that widow's gift as being more valuable than all the others. Why? Why was it more valuable? Well, her perspective could have been, why should I add my tiny amount to this abundance? What good's that going to do? That was not her attitude. She was committed to giving money to God. So much so that she gave out of her poverty, out of her lack of it, all that she had to live on. And her eye... I believe, was on God. She was taken up with the one to whom she was giving. And from God's perspective, she wasn't just adding a tiny amount to the great big pile of the temple treasury. She was offering what she had to God and beyond what she had to be used by him. You know this, don't you, that no amount of money will impress God. But the heart of the giver will impress him. It's the offerer that God is watching. And the word is, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
why would we do that? Since we've got an eternal perspective. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The widow's heart treasured God. And he is what she had chosen to invest in. And she gave out of her poverty. Read Ira's article. I've picked up on some of his insights there. And you might think, like the widow might have thought, I can't give much. So what's the point? The point is the same. The heart of the offerer, the treasuring of God above all else, and investing in him and his house, and the giving out of our lack. No amount is going to impress God, but the heart of the offerer will. So that if we're really giving out of our lack, God looks on and says, that is an offering of supreme value to me. You might not earn anything. You can still give. Some of you younger ones, I'm sure you get pocket money and you can still give. Prioritising God amidst other financial demands, other things you might want to spend your money on. And you'll find blessing in giving, in investing in God and his things above everything else. Let's read some more verses together in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favour of of participation in the support of the saints and this not as we had expected but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God to the next chapter please uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 now this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which 
through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Two more verses. First uh, Corinthians 16, please, just back to the end of the last letter. And verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of each, every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. For churches to grow and mature, for the saints to be supported, in Paul's words, we need resource. And just as was the case when Paul was writing here, God can take that resource and use it. So not only does it meet needs, uh, spiritual and physical, material, but that many thanksgivings rise to God as a result of our giving. It's to his glory. People receive and they praise God. And the principle of the widow applies to the giving of churches as well. The churches in Macedonia were giving beyond their ability. It's uncomfortable to really think about that. I'm sure it was uncomfortable for them to do it, but they did. And we need to be giving money in the same way. And I'm just speaking frankly about that, uh, about the churches in general, and I'm certainly not targeting this room. Um, wonderfully, demand is increasing because of the hard work of churches of God around the world. And there's so much that we could be giving to financially. But resources declining. That's because while most growth is seen in the so-called developing world, it's the churches in the West who can afford to give the most. And if we want to see growth continuing, both in God's will here in the UK and certainly in the pioneering work going on in places like Kenya and in the Philippines where frontiers are being pushed back, if we want to see that growth and it's so encouraging and exciting when we hear about it. If we want to see it, we need to commit to giving financially. Make the connection. Join the dots between the reports that we hear of churches growing and being planted and being established to what we're putting in the box on a Sunday morning. You're giving to God and there is absolutely a connection because he is absolutely using that resource and that money to do wonderful things and to fuel that wonderful service. Make that connection and remember it when you're giving money. Paul told the Corinthians to set aside what they were going to give each week, saving for an appropriate time, plan for it. Factor financial giving to the church into your decision making and your budgeting. And when we think about biblical giving, the issue of tithing often arises. Giving a tenth to God. 
as seen in the Old Covenant. And you get that famous plea in Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Generous giving resulting in overflowing blessing is the tenth uh, useful guideline for us today. Maybe so. But Paul's words are so important here. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly. Not under compulsion. Not giving because we're told to. Not giving because I'm encouraging us to do that this evening. But because by the Spirit you have purposed in your heart to do so. In the knowledge of all that he has given for you. To bring you into his purposes forever. Giving as you serve under a new covenant that is far superior to the old covenant. So we certainly shouldn't be limited to the tenth. (coughs) What can you give to? I'm going to run out of time. Uh, Practically, there are operational committees that you can give to. Funds that you can give to. And your assembly may have collection boxes down for those at different times. And you can specify where you want your money to be spent. And the contact point, David's done a a good handout for us that you've all got there. The contact point for those committees uh, is the Central Gifts Committee. The treasurer of which is Len Burgoyne uh, from Kilmarnock. The committees themselves are the Fellowship Outreach Committee, which is meeting tomorrow, and that is funding the global outreach of the Churches of God. And so much of the pioneering work that we hear about. Remember, connect your giving to that work. Join the dots. For example, uh, outreach and gospel workers serving in India. Because of our giving, Church plantings in the Philippines, because of our giving. The potential for plantings and growth in Kenya. Because our giving is being used by God. But FOC also funds media outreach uh, through the radio work and increasingly the internet. So that uh, our teaching materials and our outreach materials are becoming ever more accessible to people. All funded by giving. The Fellowship Literature Committee and and the work of that committee is transforming a lot uh, just now. And if you're online a lot, I hope you will have noticed the marked increase in the visibility of our teaching literature. Um, So not only do we have traditional printing and publishing, but there's a programme for releasing e-books that's now progressing at a rapid rate because of the good work of Martin Jones all funded by giving. And the third operational committee is the Relief Committee. The wonderful work of that committee in allocating those funds to address disaster relief 
responding to flash floods, for example, in the last year in Malawi and Myanmar. Medical support, education, accommodation, and then proactive schemes like setting up sustainable businesses, things like that. Such valuable work that reflects our support of the saints, funded by giving. God is working powerfully through giving. He's taking what we give and he's using it. And the money that is given makes a difference to the work that's carried out. Much of the work would cease if the funds disappeared. And as I said, if we give, we're not only meeting the needs of saints, spiritual and material, but Paul says there is an overflowing of thanksgiving to God. We give to his glory as well as to meet the needs of others and for our own blessing. I want to think a little more devotionally now about giving ourselves. <coughs> this is about more than giving time and giving money to the Lord. It's about pouring ourselves into it. And we won't give time and we won't give money if we're not giving ourselves. Or if we do give time or money, it may be joyless, it may be hollow, it may be wasted if we're not giving ourselves. We read the verse already in 2 Corinthians 8 that they first gave themselves to the Lord. I'm dealing with this last, but it is of first importance. Let's read those familiar verses together in Acts 2. Acts 2 and verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And I could read on there, but we're going to be short of time. So we'll go to Romans 12. And verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship verse 9 let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another in honour not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit serving the Lord rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. I read the Acts 2 verses and we could have read on to see the picture of what was going on as the New Testament churches were established. Uh, where there was a great sharing where there was need. But I want to focus on the simple fact that they devoted themselves. I'm thankful I'm in a room of devoted people. One translation that I quite like says they gave it their full 
tension. So maybe there's a challenge there for us. Does our service in our local church of God get our full attention? Does it get all of us? Are we giving ourselves to it? The apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the prayers, the fellowship. Does it occupy our thoughts? Romans 12 is all about giving ourselves. Paul says elsewhere to the Corinthians when he's speaking to them about our bodies and what we use them for, he says, do you not know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. I've been bought. And the price was the slaughter of the perfect son of God. That's beyond what I will ever measure. It's the song sung to the lamb in Revelation 5. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation we've been purchased ransomed for God so the purpose of our bodies can no longer be to satisfy our own appetites you're not your own Paul said the new purpose is to be for God for his glory glorify God in your bodies and Romans 12 is about presenting these bodies that no longer belong to us as a living, ongoing, committed sacrifice to God. In essence, what does it mean? I will give and give and give and I will keep giving because of the one who's given for me. So the logical, rational response to what Christ has done, Paul says, is that I present this body to God to be used by him and I give myself. And you then have all those very practical, love-based ways that Paul lists as you go down the chapter uh, of giving ourselves for the building up of the body, for contributing to the needs of the saints, for practicing hospitality, uh, hospitality, among other things. But it flows from presenting ourselves to be used by God. Now, in some ways I've been talking about this the whole time, but I'm going to bring it together, uh, giving time and money and self, just by thinking for a moment about giving ourselves for the building of God's house. And we're going to trace it by reading a few verses through the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 25, first. Exodus 25 and verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, bronze. And then he he lists the material things. And we come to verse 8. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. 
chapter 35 just to see how that played out. Chapter 35 and verse 20. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. First Chronicles for the next rapid stop off. First Chronicles 20. Nine and verse sixteen. This is David speaking. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and all is yours, since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. And then let's look to uh, at the rebuilding of the temple after Babylon as well. Ezra 5. And verse 1. When the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jehozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And we can see Haggai's perspective on that in chapter 1 of his book. We can go there. Haggai 1 and verse 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them and the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Giving to build the dwelling place of God on earth because he desires to dwell among us he wants a house to dwell in on earth to be among men and women even though the heavens can't contain him let yourself be stirred up by that again just as Israel were stirred up and moved in their spirits to give to this work in the construction of the tabernacle and they gave their gold and their silver and their bronze and their materials stuff of value that cost them and they gave willingly because they had understood that they were giving for the building of God's dwelling place similarly the materials that we see uh, or that we hear about in 1 Chronicles 
the, what we read there gives us a picture that those people were willingly giving from joyful hearts. In recognition, David says that everything they gave came from God in the first place. All this abundance we have provided to build a house for you is from your hand. It's all yours anyway. It's no less true of us. What we have is his. All that we have. And with that recognition, we're ready to give it back. The men who led the rebuilding of God's house after the Babylonian exile were remarkable men. And I could say more about them tonight, but we're not going to. Um, This amazing work when the remnant of Judah returned from Babylon. And with the support of the Lord, through the prophets, these two great men, Zerubbabel the governor, who, by the way, is in the lineage of Christ, and Joshua the high priest, stirred up the people to give their resources, to give themselves, to give their time to rebuild the temple. First of all, you have the word of the Lord through Haggai and Zechariah. That's how things start. The word of the Lord. And if we want to learn how to give, if I want to learn how to give, it will start with this and it will continue with this. And God sees the response in that day of those men as they saw his desire to have his house rebuilt and the response of the people who were labouring under them. And he says, I am with you. He sees that they have first given themselves to him. Why am I saying that? They obeyed the word of the Lord and they showed him reverence. They were giving themselves to God. And he says, I am with you. Is there anything better than the word of our great God there? I am with you. That's the blessing. Because he is our heart's treasure. I'm with you. I'm finishing up. The example of Christ is of one who gave himself. Matthew 20 says he served and gave his life a ransom for many. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, he loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you consider that you give yourself up in service? Is that how I would describe my giving? He emptied himself. Deity so full emptied itself. If we can possibly understand what that means. In divesting himself of the glory that was rightfully his. And having emptied himself, he humbled himself. And having humbled himself, he was obedient. Even to the death of the cross. A death where he was cursed. Bearing away our sin. In life, giving all of himself. And in death, giving all of himself. And now raised. Yes, to the highest place but still in service as our great high priest today, still giving himself up today. We read Paul's appeal in Romans 12. Don't lag behind in diligence. We don't measure up 
do we to the giving of the Lord Jesus for your sakes and mine but we can begin to reconsider what we're giving in terms of time precious thing to us but we can allocate it based on what we see as precious in terms of money remembering that what we give has a real impact and our eyes should be on the fact that we're giving to God and he can take it and use it and in terms of giving ourselves looking to the one who has given himself so fully and still does